So today's Father's Day, and I hope you, uh, hope you had a great father. I had a great father. He, was, uh, he loved Jesus. He loved my mom. He loved golf. He was a good golfer. Not, he wasn't, you know, scratch golfer, but he, he enjoyed golf. My mom, he and my mom played golf together. Uh, you've never said, they, they, my dad was uh, tight, cheap, and uh, except for clothes, he he'd spent whatever he needed to spend getting really nice clothes. My dad really liked clothes. He grew up, my dad grew up really poor, dirt floors in Big Spring, Texas, and that's sand, so that means your floor is moving all the time. Uh, he grew up really poor, uh, but he, when he was able to buy nice clothes, he really liked nice shoes. Uh, he, he had, when he died, he had a lot more shoes than we realized. Maybe that's where I get it. Uh, he had a lot of shoes, really nice, expensive shoes, ties. He had really nice ties because he had to wear ties to work every day. So ties were really a big deal to him. He had a lot of ties and he dressed in really expensive clothes. But other than that, he was tight. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> So they, they played golf and they never, they ne- back then, uh, they never in a cart. They never in a cart. They always, they always walked the course and pulled a cart. And you've never seen anybody, my mom and dad played golf so fast that you cannot imagine. My mom walked really fast anyway. And they would, they would play 18 holes of golf in about an hour and a half. They were just zoom. Of course, in Abilene, the course was flat as uh, the, the, actually, Hazard was hitting a rock in the middle of fairway and hence sending your ball off a different direction. Anyway, hope you had a great father. And if you didn't, I hope you've got healing from God because God is our great heavenly father. Everything that our father lacks, everything you lack as a father. I, one of the things that my goal was to try to be as good a dad as my dad was, and I never made it. My dad had great character and integrity. He loved Jesus. Uh, I love Jesus too, but just, uh, I just never felt like I measured up to him. But in God, he fills in the broken places. He helps us where our heavenly fathers have failed us. And so I hope that if, if you didn't have a great father, that you have found the greatness of our heavenly father. You found the greatness that, so that when Jesus said, the Lord's Prayer, and he said, our Father who art in heaven. You know, that's just so common to us. But when he said that, his disciples went, <gasps> because they never had experienced that kind of familiarity with, with the Father. Jesus introduced us to understanding the love of the Father. So, Today I want to talk about fatherhood and what it means and uh, just some interesting things. I read, there's all kinds of facts on the internet about fatherhood. And, uh, and so today I want to talk about the desperate need for godly fathers. Here's 10 facts about father engagement from the fatherhood project. Fathers and infants can be equally as attached as mothers and infants when both parents are involved in the child. Infants are attached to both parents from the beginning of life. We're, I guess we've always would have assumed that it's mostly moms have this nurture thing. But in reality, it's most, both fathers and mothers that nurture children. Father involvement is related to positive child health outcomes in infants, such as improved weight gain in preterm infants and improved breastfeeding rates, which is, you know, we realize 
we realize today that uh, breastfeeding is very important in the life of a child. Uh, father involvement using authoritative parenting, loving and with clear boundaries and expectations, leads to better emotional, academic, social, and behavioral outcomes for children. Children who feel a closeness to the father are twice as likely as those who do not enter college or find stable employment after high school, 75% less likely to have a teen birth, 80% less likely to spend time in jail, and half as likely to experience multiple depression syndromes. I mean, this is powerful. That, that, so an involved, children who feel close to their father are 75% less likely to have a teen birth, 80% less likely to spend time in jail, and half as likely to experience multiple depression syndromes. And depression is a major, major issue today among our young people. Fathers occupy a a critical role in child development. Father absence hinders development from early infancy through childhood into adulthood. The psychological harm of father absence experienced during childhood persists through the life course. In other words, it will last your entire life. That's why it's so important to find healing in God. Amen? The quality of the father-child relationship, more than the specific amount of hours spent together, non-resident fathers can have positive effects on children's social and emotional well-being, as well as academic achievement and behavioral adjustments. High levels of father involvement are correlated with higher levels of sociability, confidence, and self-control in children. Children with involved fathers are less likely to act out in school or engage in risky behaviors in adolescence. Children with actively involved fathers are 43% more likely to earn A's in school and 50% more likely to get a whipping if they don't. (laughs) And 33% less likely to repeat a grade than those without engaged dads. Father engagement reduces the frequency of behavioral problems in boys while also decreasing delinquency and economic disadvantage in low-income families. Father engagement reduces psychological problems and rates of depression in young women. Wow. Looks like being a father and being involved in the life of your kids, just being a good father can accomplish a lot. It's very, very important. Uh, Fathers are important in the life of their children, and it looks like they're important in the life of their children their whole life. It's not just, you know, I I actually put in my notes from birth to launch, but actually you're emotionally affected by your relationship with the father. And I believe, it seems to me that fathers are the glues of the family. That the family is kind of held together as long as the father is around. When the father's, when the father's gone, then the families all end up kind of developing their own families. Uh, so, so Paul says this. Paul says two great times about fathering. He uses almost these exact words here in Colossians and another in Ephesians. Fathers, do not exasperate to stir to anger to excite anger, to provoke, or to irritate uh, your children so that they will not lose heart. So we don't want to exasperate our children, to stir to anger, to excite to anger, to provoke, maybe irritate. I kind of feel like it's a father's job to actually irritate his children, but that's another thing. Uh, (laughs) I think fathers can exasperate by being unavailable, detached, or absent. 
I think fathers can exasperate by being inconsistent or erratic in their life in Christ and their manner of discipline. In other words, they're hot and cold. And then their discipline's hot and cold also. I think fathers exasperate who are selfish and self-centered and who put themselves first. Uh, as a parent, as a father, when you get married, some things change, right? I mean, I, in, in, when I'm doing premarital counseling, one of the things that we'd, we'd talk about is that who are you going to spend time with? And a lot of people talk about, well, you know, we, we want to have a, we want to have a, make sure we have a date. We want to keep dating. You need to keep dating in your marriage relationship. And so, but to also talk, they want to go hang out with their friends, go out and do stuff with their friends and friends are important. I'm not diminishing friends, but you need to be hanging out with your wife or your husband more than you're hanging out with your friends, you know? So, so when you get married, you give up you give up some of that because the most important thing is the marriage relationship. So you're going to give up some of that hanging out. I'm not going to hang it. I'm not saying you don't have friends. You're not going to hang out with friends. You're not going to hang out with friends the way you did before you were married. And then when you have children, you're going to give up some stuff like everything. (laughs) Because you're going to be broke. I mean, you do. If you have a hobby... Now your, hobby, now your hobby is being involved in your kids' lives. So now your hobby is t-ball and, and, and soccer of kids who really don't want to play soccer. But they're going to play soccer. And so you've got all these five and six, seven, eight, and they're just, you know, little, little dot of kids following the ball around the field, you know. And you're, you know, and I was from the sideline screaming, Pass the ball. Pass the ball to Bobby. Bobby's open. They never passed the ball to Bobby. They didn't care. Uh, but you're going to, in other words, you give up some things. You give up some things so that your kids can have things. You, I mean, because we all have limited time. And so you, you're, you're not spending time on the stuff that you want to do. Uh, you're spending stuff on your children. And that's, that's, that's the deal. That's, that's what you buy into. That's parenting. You know, we, we talk about, you know, when, when, the, when, you're, when a dad's watching the kids, he's babysitting the kids. No, that's parenting. That's, that's your job. So how do, we, how do we fill our children with hope? We want to raise children. who We don't want to exasperate them, but we want to, we want to, we want them to lose heart. What does that look like? Uh, that word means to be listless, spiritless, disinterested, moody, which happens about 12 and runs to about 19. Uh, sullen with a kind of blank resignation towards life. We don't want our children to, in other words, we don't want them to lose heart. We don't want them to lose their joy. We want them to have faith. We want them to have hope. We want them to have joy. We want our children to be, we want life to be a joyful life for our children. How do we do that? How do we accomplish that? So I think one of the things that we do is that we have to let them see our relationship with God and what it's like to know God and how important it is to us. That they see our relationship with God. Let us see how they relate to our Heavenly Father. And you know how they often, when they see that the most, this is not the fun part, but they often see 
how you relate to God the most in difficult times. Because difficult times reveal our heart more than anything else. Acts chapter 14, verse 21. After they had preached the gospel to, to, to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Nobody's got that on their refrigerator, right? But that's true. How do we enter the kingdom of God? Through great difficulty. Now, it's not easy to get into heaven. I mean, it's no, wait. It's not hard to get into heaven because Jesus paid the price. But living the Christian life is filled with difficulty because life is filled with difficulty. Jesus said, in the world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So we're going to face difficulty, and how we face difficulty often reveals our faith. What, what does our faith look like in trouble? Romans 5.3, Paul, Paul says this, and not only this, but we also exult in tribulations. We rejoice, we're happy, we're celebrating, woohoo, in tribulation. Do we really? Paul said we would if we recognized what it was accomplishing. said we, we rejoice, we exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Or we get the ability to hang on. Sometimes we're just hanging on. And perseverance, proven character, tested character. How is your character tested? In times when you have to have perseverance. When you want to quit. When is that? A lot. You'll want to quit your marriage. You'll want to try to take the kids back somewhere. Drop them off. You know, was it Mark Twain that said when a, when a child turns 13, put them in a barrel and feed them through a hole in the barrel? When they turn 15, plug up the hole. <laughs> Something like that. Perseverance. Proven character. What, what tests your character? And then the result of that is learning how to put your hope in God instead of in yourself. We learn to have hope, not because we don't have any troubles, but because we put our hope in God in the midst of our troubles. And our children need to see where we run in trouble. Where do you run in trouble? And, and it's even, a, they need to know what you're going through. Now, it, it has, needs to be age appropriate. But it's a, totally appropriate to say to your kids, hey kids, dad lost his job and we don't have any money, we're going to pray and see what God does. We're going to trust God in this because, here, kids, here's what we've already learned. We've already learned that God's faithful. We've already learned that God will see us through difficult times. 
And so you, you help them learn to see what do you run to in trouble? Do you run to the liquor cabinet? I'll take silence for 1,000, Bob. <laughs> there's, you know, there's a difference between taking a drink and taking a drink to solve a problem. Right? What are we doing to solve problems? We should be, we need to be showing our children that we're running to our Heavenly Father. They need to see our dependence upon God. They need to see how we're going to persevere in trusting God. They need to see how we're going to hang on in trusting God. They need to see our character that is now being tested by fire. They need to see our character of saying, I'm trusting Jesus to help me. They hear our complaints. They hear our prayers. I think Children are really good at seeing the truth, don't you think? And so we want to live it in such a way, we want to live our lives in such a way that they see Jesus through our relationship. Number two, we want to let them see our joy in following Christ. We want them to see that following Christ is joyful. And it should be. Jesus said this, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. A lot of love going around here, right? I'm abiding in the father's love. you're, You're abiding in my love. Then he says, these things I've spoken to you so that My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He said, I want you to understand that you're loved. The Father loves me. I love you. I want you to understand that you're loved. I want you to understand who you are in Christ. I want you to understand that. I want you to understand that your greatest joy is when you keep my commandments. I mean, that's the best life. The best life is doing God's life God's way, right? Do we believe that? The best life. I mean, we would even say our kids, kids, you're going to have the best life if you do your life, if you do what I tell you, right? You you don't do what I tell you. Life's going to get hard. When we don't do God's word, we're just asking for trouble. There's joy in keeping his commandments. See, here's the, but, but we got to get this. There's joy in it. Christianity is not a dreary list of ought nots and should nots, of don'ts. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, seems like we just have reduced Christianity to, to stop that. Well, if, if it's fun, it's a sin. Don't do it. So how do, we, how do we live it with joy? Because there's this constant pull from the world of these counterfeit delights that the world offers that, that seem to outweigh the delights of God. The Bible tells us they are the pleasures of sin for a season. In other words, they're pleasurable, but there's a payday. The payday is hell, literally. So how do we, how do we express the joy, the joy of our salvation? 
We want to express a Christianity that's connected with the Father, that's joyful about it. And I, I have to say, this is one of, the, one of the great treasures that my parents gave me. They loved Jesus and the church with all of its troubles and church people. You know the church would be great without church people. <laughs> the church fraught with people because anytime you have people, you have trouble. You, do you know that, right? But my parents delighted. See, back in the olden days, uh, when I was growing up, we would take our covered wagons to church. And uh, took a long time to get there. Uh, but we went to church every time they had church, which was Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And if we were going to, we had revivals. And because we were Pentecostal, we had to be revived more often than most. We had, we had a lot of revivals. And they would be two weeks, every night except Saturday night, and we'd get home at 10 o'clock if we were lucky. And you know what? I never heard my parents complain about church because they loved it. They loved the fellowship. They loved being in the presence of God. They loved going to church. They, it was a joy. It was a joy. It wasn't like, oh, it's Sunday Kids, get ready. We got to go to church. So when I, as a, as a teen, teenager, tried to get away from God, the joy of that kept pulling me back in. The reality, the genuineness of it, the delight in God that they had. Not religion, that they were doing religion. I mean, my parents were very strict, but they were strict because they wanted to be. They were living the life that they felt was very important for them. So that joy pulled me back in. It was a great treasure. It was a treasure that they delighted in knowing Jesus Christ. They delighted in being a follower of Christ. They delighted in what all it meant for them. And and they brought that into the family. And so our family revolved around church. If we had company from out of town and they were at our house on Sunday morning, they either went to church with us or they stayed home by themselves because we were going to church because that's what we did. And we had some relatives that really needed to go to church and they never did, but it would have helped them, right? See, the Christian life, if done correctly, is filled with joy. It's not lukewarm and half-hearted and double-minded. Because you know what that does? You just, a lukewarm Christian just inoculates their children from the reality of Christ. You give them just enough to cause them to doubt everything and be miserable about everything. But, but the reality, a genuine life in Christ is hard to argue with. That was a value to me. Let them see your passion for Christ. Teach them something better than self-confidence. You need to have confidence. 
And this is, you know, this is, this is the American thing. You know, we, we're going to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're independent. We're strong. Well, what we need to learn is not self-confidence, but God-confidence. Self-confidence says, I'm a winner because I'm winning. Nothing succeeds in America like success. I mean, if you're winning, you're great. If you're not winning, you're the Dallas Cowboys. I'm sorry, that was just too, too much fun to say. Sometimes you think about it and you just say it anyway. I, but So what happens when you lose a season? I mean, you're a loser. That's a what happens. So if your confidence is built on your success, if your confidence is built on your achievements, then there's going to be peaks and then there's going to be valleys. Which one are you? Are you the peak or are you the valley? Are you the winner today or the loser tomorrow? You had a great job yesterday, you lost that job and you're unemployed. Are you a loser because you don't have a job? Where is your value? Is your value in what you have? Is your value in your talents? Is your value in your possessions? Are you a better person because you have a bigger house? Are you a better person because you have a newer car? Is your value based on external things or is it based on real things? So if our value is based on us, it's a not enough to base your life on. It's weak. Base your life in Christ. Find your value in Him. We need to teach our children not self-confidence, but God-confidence. Not I can do everything, but I can do all things through Christ. Because here's the reality. You can't do everything. You can't be whatever you want to be. hate to break that to you. Most of y'all aren't going to be in the NFL. Right? Or the NBA. Don't follow your heart. It's dangerous. Follow the will of God. It's glorious. Do what is God's will for your life, even not what is your will. You say, well, I need to follow my heart. (laughs) I've seen a lot of people get in really big trouble following their heart. I've seen a lot of homes really messed up because somebody followed their heart. Don't follow your heart. Follow God. Trust God with your life. Put God first in your life. Listen, Here's what, here's what happened with Paul. 2 Corinthians 1.8 For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia that we were burdened excess, excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Now this is the Apostle Paul. He's been saved 20 years at this point. And he's, he's saying, listen, I want you to know how tough this was. We were in Asia. We were burdened excessively beyond our strength. You say, well, God won't put on you more than you can bear. That's not true. He will put way more on you than you can bear. He won't put on you more than he can bear. Beyond our strength so that we despaired, we were depressed, we were discouraged, we were despondent even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Now, that doesn't sound good, does it? 
The Apostle Paul is saying we have the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves but God who raises the dead. You see, you got to move from self-confidence and self-reliance to relying upon Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because you're going to run out because you're not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough of a purpose to live for. That's a weak, shallow purpose. But if I live for him, I've got eternal purpose. I'm going to, I'm going to do more. I'm going to, it's going to be like getting a new pair of kids. I'm going to run faster and jump higher if my life is in Christ. Then, so this is Paul. The Lord's telling Paul, you're having a tough time because I'm wanting you to learn not to depend upon yourself. I don't, I don't want you to trust in yourself. He said, I was having to learn again not to trust in myself. So even Paul, who loved God, the Lord's teaching him. I've had to learn this lesson a couple of times. Have you? I've had to learn this lesson a couple of times. Don't put your trust in your talent, your education, your ability, your experience. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Don't trust in your ability to do it. Trust in his ability to do it. First and foremost, to put our trust in Christ. Acts 18, 9. And the Lord said to Paul, this is not in relationship to this. This is where he is in Asia, in Acts. In the night, in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer. Because when he was trusting his own resources, he'd run out. He was fearful. I mean, Paul the bull was fearful. You're going to face some stuff that are going to be bigger than you. And to be tempted to be fearful. And he says, don't be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I'm with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you for I have many people in this city. So here's what Paul learned. I'm not big enough for this, but God is. Sometimes here's what you're going to learn and your kids need to see this from you. Listen, God's got this. God's got this. Because here's what I've learned. God's got me. And God's got us as a family. Sometimes the greatest thing you can do is show your kids, kids, we're going to trust God through this. Watch this. Let's see what God does. Because God's got this. God's got me. God's got us. And and I would say, one of the greatest jobs you have as a man of God, as a, as a husband and a father, is to stand in front of your family and say, we're going to trust God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We've made a decision. We're going to trust Jesus to carry us through. Because we can look back and see that he did, 
and we know that he will. Amen? Amen. My Father's gift to you today is that I'm through at 12 o'clock. Let's stand. Lord, help us to be men that teach our children to trust in you. Help us to live lives of joyful Christianity that point them to the joy of knowing you that will draw them in times of rebellion, in times of running, that will draw them to the foot of the cross. Help us to live our life in a delight for you that will paint a picture of the joy that it means to follow you. And Lord, help us live in such a way that we're living surrendered. And we can say joyfully, with confidence, not in ourselves, not in our own faith, not in our ability to, to persevere, but in our ability to trust God. Say, God, we trust you. We believe you've got this. We believe you've got me and you've got us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Have a great Father's Day. Lord bless you. I love you. Time moves in rhythm with his hand. Moment by moment, beat by beat. Rolling through death, both.